like the pink and like the light pastel purple on the right. The color on the side of the pot, very calming and collective. It really made me think a lot about all of these themes that relate to self-care. Welcome to Art is Human Nature, a podcast where art meets the expert, a podcast where I, the artist, speak with people who know a lot about the ideas I try to capture in my work. I'm your host, Alexander Robinson. Today's episode is titled Tetris slash self-care. It's a painting that's about self-care and how the game of Tetris can be used as a visual analogy for taking care of one's mental health. The expert for today's episode is Megan Key. With over 10 years of experience working in the fine art industry, Megan founded 2020 Arts in 2018, a nonprofit that raises awareness for mental health, homelessness, and addiction through artistic campaigns, insightful conversations, and meaningful collaborations. In addition, Megan is a mental health advocate who believes in the power of art as a tool to raise awareness and showcase our shared humanity. A big thing for you is you're the founder of 2020 Arts. Do you think you could tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've worked in the fine art industry for the past 10 years in various capacities. I've worked in the for-profit sector. I've worked in the nonprofit sector. I've worked in an institutional capacity in museums and galleries. And I've always loved the arts in one way or the other, either as a creator or a facilitator. And then after I finished my master's degree in 2015 in the UK, I came back And after about six months of looking for a permanent full-time job, my brother passed away from an overdose. So that was about five years ago now, which is crazy to me. But after that happened, my entire life changed, obviously. And I sort of just had this realization that I wanted to be able to give back in some sort of meaningful way. And that instead of switching my career completely to go do social work or any other type of charitable work, I wanted to find a way to use the skill set that I had already invested so much time in developing with giving back in some sort of way. So I started an exhibition called Never Real and Always True. I had no idea it was going to end up turning into 2020 art, but it was just an exhibition that raised funds for the Toronto Distress Center and all of the works surrounded mental health stigma. That was very successful. And I even thought as that exhibition was happening that I really wanted to do something on the TTC because I took the TTC to and from work every single day. And I recognized that that was a really powerful space that people engage with every single day, but it's not being utilized in the way that I felt that it could be. And so I wanted to take the exhibition and adapt it into a public art format on the TTC. And that's where Life on the Line came from. And five months before Life on the Line launched, I was looking for funding for the project. And I thought I would have an easier time finding funds for a project as an organization as opposed to an individual. So. That's what I did. So I incorporated 2020 Arts. I had no idea that it was going to turn into anything beyond this first project. And just after the first project, the first edition of Life on the Line launched, I quit my full-time job, dove straight into freelance work, and I've kind of been doing it ever since. Wow. That's awesome. In terms of how 
you've kind of taken like certain situations and have turned them into inspiration or motivation to end up doing a lot of good work and putting a lot of good things out into the world. That's just so admirable. I think, you know, to have certain things happen and look at that and look at that as fuel to do good. That's amazing. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where I just realized life is short. Life is short and I've always wanted to give back in some sort of way. And so it was like, you know what? Now or never. So I just did it. With 2020 Arts and knowing that you wanted to give back and ideally you wanted to focus on mental health, homelessness and addiction, what made you choose art as the tool to cultivate that change? You know, because you could have chosen any tool to go about that process. Why art? I want to say that art was a part of my entire life, but it hasn't really been. I only started to cultivate my skills as an artist around age 15 or so. And I realized I could draw and I was like, oh man, like that was the first thing I ever got good at. And I was so proud of myself for it. I think whatever form of expression I discovered, I was probably going to go fully into it. But art from a young-ish age has always had a really big impact on me as a form of self-expression. But then when I started my undergraduate degree, I realized that I wanted to get into academia and curatorial practice. And so I started to realize the benefit from an intellectual perspective of art and how art could impact you as a viewer, not only as a creator. And throughout my career, I've always really looked to inspirational historical pieces and what they're able to say about a particular moment in time. But I've also been really moved by abstract expressionist pieces by Jackson Pollock that emote, they evoke some sort of emotion in you. And there's no way to necessarily say this is why. It's not logical in any way. And so it has this amazing capacity to connect with people in a way that maybe words don't. Um, and I think art in any form, visual or music or poetry or any form of art has this ability to connect with you personally. And it's interesting to me as well that art in some ways, I can show you a piece of art that I love that just like really, really connects with me. And you can have a totally different experience of it. You might hate it. You might not like it at all. And I find that just so interesting because it speaks to us individually. And once the artist creates a work, it's sort of this notion of Roland Barthes' death of the author. Once you create it, it's actually the viewer that creates the piece and the meaning of it with you in some ways. And so once it's out there, everybody who sees it gets to create it. And so I've always found that really interesting. And when it comes to things like mental health, it's not the same as physical health where you're able to just show somebody an x-ray or something like that to physically show somebody this is what I'm dealing with. And people can very easily understand that. But when it comes to mental health, when I say I feel like I'm in a pit of despair, you know, there's a certain degree to which people can understand that. But art has this capacity to emote. You can really express what it is that you're feeling through visual art, through musical art, through any other form of art. And I think it's really powerful for doing that. And because I really think that storytelling is an important part of raising awareness for mental health, homelessness, and addiction, I think art is a really powerful tool for that. And I've kind of always found that. And I think that those three things specifically, the reason I focus on them is because they're the, other than climate change probably, the three most important 
social issues of our time. And they're all very closely related as well. And so I chose to focus on those three specifically because they affect so many people. They're affecting more and more people over time. And with the pandemic, I think we've seen a rise and a spike in all three of those in overdoses, in the number of people living in encampments, as well as a rise in mental health issues. So it kind of couldn't be more relevant, unfortunately. I totally agree. I love what you had to say about, you know, like a physical illness or a physical injury. And how, you know, that's something you can easily most of the time show people and say, you know, this is where it hurts. This is the cut, the bruise, you know, and with mental illness, that's not exactly the case. I totally agree with that. And and that's a big reason I, I just really love the work you're doing. While, you know, all of us are working towards a, a better tomorrow and we're trying to do the work to address a lot of these issues, I think specifically in the case of mental health and homelessness and addiction, a lot of the times the early signs of these things aren't easily seen. I really think something like art is such a great tool to let people know that they aren't alone and to also let other people know this is how people are feeling in the world. I think it's very poetic and I think the two go together hand in hand very well. I think art historically has always also been used to communicate. So like prior to the 1500s and the printing press, images were the primary means of communication, especially with people who were illiterate, which was a vast majority of the population at that time. And so like we've been using art to comment on a particular period in time or a particular historical moment for as long as people have been creating, which is up to like 50,000 years, it goes back that people have been creating images to try and make sense of what's happening in front of them. I think for so long, it's been used as a tool for communication. And because now spoken word writing has become the predominant means of communication, art is sort of a way to inject yourself into advertising and like a digital space that's a little bit different that makes people stop and pause just for a second. So I think it has that benefit as well. For sure. For sure. I wanted to ask you this because for me personally, in my own personal life, I've seen, there's been a lot of people I've come across who oftentimes don't know the difference between these two things. And I think it's just a really important thing to touch on when it comes to raising awareness around mental health or uh, destigmatizing it. But for you, what would you say is the difference between a mental health disorder and mental health challenges? I think mental health in general, everybody has mental health. And so whether you believe that you have a disorder or you've been diagnosed with something, like we all have mental health. Even if you're a happy-go-lucky person, you never struggle with anxiety, depression, or any other mental health disorder, you still have mental health. I'm in the state of your mind is still a subject of mental health. But mental health disorders are, they can be really difficult to live everyday life. And so I think that a mental health disorder specifically requires specific attention because it decreases your quality of life. And so when it decreases your quality of life, that's when you need to pay specific attention to it and put focus on it. So when we are raising mental health awareness, it's to say, first of all, that we recognize that everybody has mental health, but then it's focusing on specific disorders and to try and destigmatize them because a lot of the time the stigma is what stops people from getting help. And 
being able to speak openly about them and talk about the symptoms, what to look out for, all those types of things are a way for us to just normalize what it is that's going on. And one thing I've recognized recently as well is that obviously we diagnose people with specific disorders because it's useful, because it's an easy way to say, okay, you have depression, maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have OCD, whatever it might be. But I think in a more broad way of speaking, we all have like an emotional spectrum with a bunch of different symptoms. And like some of us will have some symptoms of OCD and then we'll have some symptoms of depression. And so then we get all of these diagnoses, but we just each have like a unique vibration and pattern for our own mental health. And for some people, that means it's all positive. And for the most part, other than life events, because life is difficult and challenging for everybody, other than those specific outside events, they are pretty level. And so they're very lucky in that sense. Whereas some people, you know, it's very complicated and they might have a lot of stuff going on. So yeah, I think that's an important distinction between mental health and mental health disorders. They're two very different things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a huge thing. I've seen people who are very well-intentioned and they want to help with this cause, but I think when people don't know the difference between a mental health disorder and just mental health in general, I feel like people can distance themselves from these issues and people can kind of well-intentioned, but people can think, oh, I, I don't have a mental health disorder, so I want to help, but this, this isn't a problem that affects me or affects people I know, which isn't true, you know, um, so I just think, yeah, it's very important to, you know, just let people know, like what you said, we all have mental health. It's something we all need to be mindful of and, and look after. Absolutely. And like if somebody you love is struggling and you happen to have educated yourself on what mental health disorders are, what some of the signs and symptoms are, you're going to be more well-equipped to know how to have that difficult conversation or to open up discussion with somebody to make them feel comfortable. So it's important whether you struggle with a mental health disorder or not to educate yourself on that so you can be more supportive for the people around you. For sure, 100%. If you'd like to see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. I repeat, if you'd like to follow along and see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. All right, let's get back to the episode. So... Bringing it back to 2020 arts and kind of the mission the organization has to um, instill change in the world and, you know, help these non-for-profit organizations through the power of art. I would like to speak to you about the piece for today's episode. So the piece is titled Tetris slash self-care. So I guess looking at the piece, firstly, what just visually stands out to you or what's the first thing that kind of comes to mind? So obviously, as full disclosure, like I have seen this image before uh, with just the title, no, no description or anything. And the first thing that came to mind for me was almost like periodic table. Like it, it gave me like this feeling almost of like a periodic table because of the letters and like the uppercase and then the lowercase and the way that the periodic table is laid out. 
I mean, I can go into my like whole analysis of it, but the title obviously gave me a little bit of direction. And as a Tetris player myself, I really appreciate the analogy of Tetris being related to self-care and that it's sort of like you just have to take what comes, focus on what's coming up next as best as you can, and try to place it in with what has already happened and not focusing too much on everything you've done beforehand and really just focusing on that next step as best you can. And because I drew the, for me personally, just my interpretation, the periodic table association, I think it's an interesting analogy because the periodic table is essentially the building blocks of life. It's everything that we know exists in the universe so far. And so I think it's it's an interesting analogy between the two. And I kind of like that they fit together in that way. And I also, I mean, I really appreciate as well this idea of growth and that like for a plant to thrive and survive, it really needs a couple of vital elements being like water, sunshine, perfect conditions to be able to grow in the way that it can to its utmost potential. But yeah, I think the idea as well of Tetris and having to fit things together in different positions and orientations. And sometimes you just get what you get. I think that's the thing with Tetris as well. Like, you know, you just get what you get. You don't necessarily have control over what's coming next. And you just have to do the best that you can with what you're given. So that's kind of like what I what I drew from this piece. I just generally like it. I mean, I'm a fan of your work, so like I'm a little biased there. But yeah, I, I really appreciate it. it. Like, it really made me think like a lot about all of these different themes that relate to self-care. And I really appreciate somebody who puts a title and doesn't just do untitled number 386 because it really can help somebody like find a deeper meaning within the piece. So that's like my first glance interpretation. You kind of touched on this earlier with the idea of putting art out into the world and how from that point on, it, it kind of becomes a, like a collaborative thing where as the artist, you have the intentions you initially had when creating the piece, but then other viewers can bring something new to it and other viewers can teach you something about the work that you created. I'm definitely a firm believer in that. And that was definitely like a big inspiration behind doing this. So with that being said, I really love your analysis and I found it very fascinating. And in a lot of ways, a lot of the things you touched on were almost identical to my thinking process behind creating it, which is really neat. And I think with the periodic table, that was definitely uh, an inspiration behind this. And like you were saying, with the idea that like those are kind of like the building blocks of like life itself. One thing I would also like to touch on with this piece, and I'm curious what you think of this, but while I was working on it or doing the sketches for it, one thing I wanted to get across is, and it's been like a running theme in a lot of my work, but just the idea of the duality of things. And in this case, the duality of blocks, building blocks. And I guess how with building blocks, you can use them to create change. But at the same time, if they pile up, they can almost suffocate you. You know, it's kind of like this struggle between the two. And I guess I'm curious, like, what are, what are your thoughts on that idea? As somebody who plays Tetris and it starts speeding up and it just comes at you so fast and you place things and they're all wrong and it gets up to the top and the game is over, I can totally relate to that. So I can see the duality in that. And I feel like I have seen like the, that theme present throughout your work. 
I feel like this is a very harmonious piece, though, and it gives me like a sense of hope in a way. And so, because there's a lot of space as well between the pieces, like I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I don't know if that's like a negative thing to say or not, but I, it does feel like very like cohesive and like I can see like the the idea of that though, and that like I think as well if you don't try and take things as they come. And you sort of just ignore something like self care, for example. It can pile up on you, and then it feels like, oh, maybe it's like cleaning your house. I'm going to take this another place. Maybe it's like cleaning your house and your dishes, or responding to text messages from friends. When you don't do that for so long, it does pile up, and it actually kind of makes it feel harder to get out of, rather than just doing little bits of it at a time. So yeah, I can definitely relate to that feeling or that concept, anyway. You also touched on the idea of titles for things, and titles are super, super important to me. And not to say, you know, like there's anything wrong with artists or creators who aren't like big on titles with their work, but for me, titles I find to be a very pivotal part of experiencing a piece. And I think sometimes <laughs> the title can be almost just as important as the creation of the work. I guess I wanted to know: Has there been any times where a title has like drastically impacted, for good or worse, has drastically impacted your experience of a piece of artwork? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's difficult because as somebody who has been to so many museums and galleries over the year, I've taken different approaches. So sometimes I'll go through an ex exhibition, I won't read anything, I won't read any of the titles, I won't read anything, and I'll just have my first impression. And then I'll do the opposite, where I go through, I read the title, I read the description, I look at the piece, and I give it that sort of time. But I think that a title absolutely has. Obviously now I'm blanking and I can't think of a specific work where that's been the case. But I think the title in some sense is a form of poetry. And so it can just be like a nice addition. And I've seen a lot of artists do this really successfully. And again, not to drag on artists who use like untitled or like no name number 385, because that's fine if you don't want, if you just want it to be a catalog and you really want the other person to just figure it out on their own and just give them no additional context, that's totally fine. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. At least for me, I, I prefer title in a work because it adds something like if this piece, for example, was called Falling Apart, I think that maybe you might have a totally different interpretation of the piece because now you're thinking, okay, periodic table, it's like falling apart. Maybe you're like, I don't know. It just, it can change a piece so much. And I think it's a really powerful tool for an artist. And I really appreciate when an artist uses it well. For sure. In that same breath, I think another thing that's also very interesting alongside of titles is, you know, like the idea of ambiguity in art. And I feel like striking that, not perfect, because nothing's perfect, but that ideal balance of ambiguity in, in your artwork, it can be a very tricky thing. And I feel like different people have different thresholds of how much ambiguity they like. So some people it's like, give me, you know, like, give me, give me a little, a little bite, you know, give me like a little idea of what you're thinking. Some people are more like, I don't want to know anything. I just want to figure it out. But with that idea of ambiguity, an important thing for me with this piece, I do believe ambiguity or a certain degree of ambiguity is important and adds to the experience. But a big thing with this piece in particular is with the letters, I wanted it to 
in a way, kind of get the idea across that each of us is playing in our lives our own unique game of Tetris. And so when a person, I guess, comes across this piece, they bring their experiences to those letters. And the L in the top left corner, different things might come to mind for different people based on the experiences in their lives and what the letter L, like what first comes to mind for them or TH or LY. But with that being said, for you, looking at some of these letters, what are some things that just come to mind for you? So I spent a little bit of time thinking about this and wondering like, okay, and then I see the BD in the bottom left-hand corner. I'm like, under what circumstances do these letters ever appear next to each other? <laughs> Actually, I'm sure, I'm sure there are circumstances under which they do. But the AX, for example, this is so silly, but I like looked this up because I don't know the periodic table, but I looked up these variations in letters because like, are these actually on the periodic table? So I like looked them up and I recognized that like AX is not on the periodic table. But like for me, the first thing that I see when I see AX together is like the word relax. Like it, it makes me just feel, I don't know, maybe I use that word a lot. I use the word relaxation and the importance of relaxation very frequently. But yeah, I, I don't know that anything necessarily specifically comes to mind, but the AX definitely stood out for me. It like reminded me of like relax. I definitely spent a period of time like trying to figure out like, and I think there's this idea as well that like I'm trying to figure out what you meant by the letters as opposed to exactly what you're talking about, which is just me trying to use my own life experiences and interpretation and go, well, what could this mean for me? And yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I, I think I spent the first little bit of looking at this piece and the letter specifically going, what did he mean by this? Like I wanted the answers, you know, it's like I want him to give me the answers. But it's really important, I think, sometimes to just not have that context so you can really start to draw into your own personal experiences and what it might mean for you. No, for sure. One thing I would really like to touch on, you know, like this idea of Tetris and the idea of self-care and how I guess self-care in a lot of ways is something we I feel like a lot of us reference as a method to work on or improve our mental health. And with that idea of working on or improving our mental health or, you know, like combating, even combating mental mental health challenges and things like that. In your opinion, what do you think are some of the core causes behind a lot of mental health challenges, even mental health disorders? Because I think this is also an important thing to kind of touch on, but there are mental health disorders that people can be born with, but you can also develop a mental health disorder as well later on in your life. So I guess, yeah, for you, what do you think are some core causes behind these things? So the first one you, you touch on, it's biological or genetic. There are certain mental health disorders that people are more likely to develop because somebody in their immediate family has it. And so there's just a higher chance of that. So there was this study called the Dunedin Longitudinal Study. And it is essentially the longest running study. It studied babies all the way up into midlife. So I think it's, don't quote me on this, but it's been running for like 50 or 75 years. Different researchers have been on the project. And basically what they looked at is key markers in these people's lives. And if anything that happened in their childhood, their genetics, their biology over time changed their outcomes in life. And there's this constant argument about nature versus nurture. And basically what the study found is it's nature and nurture. So there were certain people, for example, who had 
traits genetically of psychopathy and so just a general lack of empathy but one of the people in the study even though he had those traits and he was adopted and his biological father was actually in prison it was serving a lifetime sentence in prison because he grew up in such a loving supportive environment with people who encouraged him gave him the support that he needed he went on to live a happy life never engaged in any sort of violent behavior and ended up being very successful. And so what that study has shown is that it it's it is how you are born, but then it's also the circumstances that you experience throughout your life. One thing that Gabor Mate talks about is how detrimental stress can be early on in life and how that can affect you on a biological level and how that's one of the primary causes for example of ADHD that because if a mother while she is pregnant is experiencing so much stress and turmoil whether it's actually happening to her or if she's just feeling stress in her own mind that that can have a biological impact on the child which will carry through throughout that person's life and so there's also that there's trauma so if children experience any form of trauma or abuse when they are very young that can completely change the expression of their genes throughout their lifetime and so that can have an impact but one thing that i specifically think that we don't talk about enough when it comes to mental health is the economic conditions of our current society and how they impact people's mental health because two of the most common mental health disorders are depression and anxiety they are the ones that can manifest because people are experiencing high levels of stress and that can lead to overwhelm and you know anxiety and so many different other health disorders and it can further exacerbate existing ones as well so if you're somebody who struggles with borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia or any other mental health disorder something like dissociative identity disorder for example is triggered by stress so stress is a huge common thread throughout all mental health disorders and that's not to say that people who are wealthy or have a lot of money can't struggle with their mental health because that's simply just not true but i would say that unfortunately poor economic conditions things like low wages unaffordable housing no benefits no paid sick days dug forward all of these things contribute to higher levels of stress in people's lives because when you're worrying about keeping a roof over your head or feeding your family or you know where your next paycheck is coming from that's going to stress you out and then it sends you let's say into a depressive episode and then because you're in a poor economic condition and you're also struggling with your mental health the chances of you pulling yourself out of whatever economic condition you're in goes down immensely so actually it traps people in these poor economic conditions and it's it's something we don't talk about enough because then we have to hold businesses accountable, we have to hold government accountable, we have to hold developers accountable who are not building enough affordable housing and they're just basically building these big expensive condos because they want to make money. And it's something that we don't talk about enough and that's something that I want to talk more about through 2020 Arts because people aren't homeless because they want to be homeless. People aren't struggling with addiction because they want to struggle with addiction. If we create and we just shift some of the resources from like the police for example to some of these integral programs and services that help people from an early age and give them the encouragement and support that they need, they are more likely to be more successful in life and feel more fulfilled and have more opportunities. So I just think that there's 
a misallocation of resources in our country and many countries around the world. And that's a big part of what's causing the mental health crisis. So it really frustrates me when people talk about mental health on a personal and individual level. Like, oh, you struggle with depression. Okay, you need to go find resources. You need to go afford therapy. You need to get yourself medication as if the problem starts here, but the manifesting of the symptoms and high rates of suicide and overdoses all the way over here. Why are we treating it over here? We should be treating it all the way over here. So yeah, I could talk about this all day. It's just something that like really frustrates me. And I think we allow it to happen, unfortunately. If you shop at Amazon or Walmart or any of these companies that just do not champion the rights and mental health of workers, we are contributing to it. And I wish you could just shop anywhere and just know that those companies were taking care of these things because Amazon is so convenient. Walmart is affordable. And there are so many wonderful things about these companies. But unfortunately, what they're doing is they're just funneling all of the funds and resources from these people and making people into billionaires. And it's just, it's kind of an injustice. And I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it because it tends to fall across political lines. And people think that that's a very socialist, democratic idea. But I think it's just a people-focused idea. Like government should take care of its people. That's its number one priority. And if it's not taking care of a vast majority of people, I think essentially they're failing at their job. So you touched on a lot of things. And that kind of brings me to the mental health crisis, right? And how, you know, it's this it's this cause that a lot of us are trying to do our part or trying to help with in some in some sort of way. And I think there's a few pillars when it comes to tackling any sort of cause or issue. And I think one of the first pillars, I believe, would be doing research and, you know, learning about the causes of these things and learning about the differences between different types of, you know, mental health disorders and even learning the difference between a mental health disorder and someone struggling with their mental health and just learning about all these sorts of things. And then I think from there, when you have some information, then you can educate other people. And that kind of lends itself to the idea of spreading awareness. And then from there, which I think this is a very important step, but then it's taking action. And with that idea of taking action, I think some people can, and I like this has happened to me with plenty of things, but in the midst of doing research and in the midst of learning, I think some of us can feel not bogged down, but can, can feel kind of overwhelmed in the idea that there's just nothing I can do. This is just too grand of a wall to take down. But I'm a firm believer in the idea of, you know, small actions and chipping away at something. And going along with that, what do you think are some things that, you know, for anyone listening who has learned something from this and who might, you know, want to want to help in some way, what do you think are some things that people can do on a micro level and a macro level? So, okay, this is a pretty loaded question, but... (laughs) But okay, so I guess firstly, what do you think are some things that people can just do for themselves and their own well-being and their own, you know, like self-care? What do you think are some things people can do for their loved ones? And if they have any loved ones who may be struggling with their mental health or if they have any loved ones with a mental health disorder? And then thirdly, you kind of touched on this earlier, but what are some things that, you know, any of us can do to help at large, at mass, with the global mental health crisis? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you touched on, like, throughout that question is people feel very overwhelmed and it feels like a very big issue and we feel very powerless in creating meaningful change. But I think it's important whether you're dealing with something like homelessness, addiction or mental health to just focus on your own circle of influence because we all have a circle of influence. And so to answer the first part of your question, I think it's more important than anything else for us to take care of ourselves as a number one priority. And I know that that comes across to some people as being selfish. But one thing that I've learned in my own life is when I'm constantly giving up my own sense of self-care and self-love to be there for other people and I'm giving people what I'm not giving to myself, I'm going to burn out and I'm not going to be able to be there for them when they need me. And so that me taking care of myself is the first step. And one thing that I've learned, I've never taken any medication for my own mental health struggles because I wanted to try everything natural first. So the things that I do is I move every single day in some way, either I do yoga, I go for a walk, or I do a full-blown workout. That's huge for your own mental health. Whether you struggle with your mental health or not, it's just a vital part of being a human being. You got to move. You know, we get so used to just sitting still. The second thing is educate yourself on what it is that you're eating. Nutrition is a huge part. They are like, what you eat is what you become biologically. And there's a whole new strain of psychiatry called nutritional psychiatry, which examines how certain foods affect our gut microbiome and therefore affect our mental health. And there is a whole slew of studies coming out relating food to certain expressions like OCD, even schizophrenia. So what you eat is really important. And I know there's a lot of information out there, but if you just try to eat like a whole whole food-based diet, you know, and just try to use logic, try to cut out sugar and any like highly processed carbohydrates, like that's a good way to go. And the third most important thing that I do for myself in terms of self-care is just slowing down. And that means meditation. Meditation is the most powerful tool that I've discovered in my life, especially after my brother passing. I was having panic attacks every single day and it helped me calm down, slow down for a second, and realize that I was making myself sick with my own thoughts. Changing your thoughts, the first step is recognizing your thoughts. And so meditation is going to help you do that. And maybe meditation isn't for you, and you just want to do some deep breathing practices, some yoga, just anything that helps you slow down. Step away from your screens whenever you can because it becomes an addiction. Like my phone is a serious addiction as I'm sure many of us have that experience. You find, you pick up your phone to do something and then you put it down after having scrolled for a certain period of time and they're like, oh yeah, I forgot why I went on my phone in the first place. So those three things are really important for me in my life and just making space for yourself, make yourself a priority. And then when it comes to taking care of other people in your life, if you've attended to everything in your own life and you've made sure that you feel nourished and you feel whole as a person, the best thing that you can do for other people is try to be, I don't want this to sound in any way condescending, but if you can, if you've learned anything that helps your own mental health, try to share that with other people wherever you can. Maybe send them a little meditation video, you know, just just try to share what it is that you've learned that's worked for you. What works for you isn't necessarily going to work for somebody else, but being a positive uplifting force in somebody else's life is really useful. And then just opening up a dialogue with the people that you love, just saying, hey, I just want you to know if you're ever struggling, I'm here for you and I'm here to listen to you. This is a non-judgmental space. And one thing I've recognized in my own life is that anytime somebody comes to me with a problem, 
first of all, I feel so grateful that they feel comfortable enough opening up to me. And I know that the way that I respond when they bring a problem to me is going to determine whether they're going to bring other problems to me in the future. And so if I'm very dismissive of what they're feeling, I'm not asking questions. I'm not really just trying to understand that they might not come back to me again for support. And so just try to be as loving and supportive as you can. And an important guideline I find that's always important when you're helping somebody with their mental health struggles, it's just asking, do you just want me to listen or are you looking for advice? Because we always want to solve people's problems. And when somebody comes to you and they're struggling, you want to just be like, okay, so you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And people just need somebody to just listen to their thoughts. So that's really important. And sometimes there's a line that you have to draw where I feel like this sounds cruel, like be there for people as much as you possibly can. And one thing I do as well is I send like no pressure text messages to my friends, just being like, hey, I love you. I care about you. No pressure to message me back. I know you're going through a tough time, but I just want you to know that because I know it could be really overwhelming to like respond to text messages when you're going through a difficult time. So that's a really good one. But then there's also a certain degree to which you have to recognize you can't fix people's problems. I'm somebody who feels very empathetic. And so when somebody's going through a difficult mental health struggle, I want to fix it. Like, I just want so badly to just like, I just want their pain to go away. And that causes me misery. And I'm sure like this doesn't happen to everybody, but I've had to try and just go, okay, I've sent them the messages. I let them know that I'm there. That is as much as I can do. And I'm just going to keep sending the messages, letting them know that I love and care about them, but not letting it overtake my own mental health, trying to take care of somebody else to the point where it's detrimental to me. And then when it comes to helping a cause or anything. I think we all have different skill sets and whatever it is that your skill set is, I think use what that is to try and give back in some sort of way. Helping other people is such a powerful endorphin. Like you just feel so good when you get to help people. If you struggle with your mental health and you feel comfortable with your own story, share your story because you never know who it is going to touch, who it might reach. And if you share your story, it just might be the first time somebody's read something and it clicks with them. They might have read 100 mental health stories before that, but the way you speak about your story is going to impact them. And I think too often we think, oh, it's so there's so many mental health advocates, there's so many stories out there, what difference is mine going to make? But you don't know what difference yours is going to make until you put it out there. And I know that that's not accessible for everybody, it's not comfortable for everybody, they're not as open with it yet, and that's okay. If you can donate to a mental health organization, again, we're in a pandemic. I know that that's not possible for a lot of people. But just try to advocate for positive mental health outcomes in your current vicinity. Maybe you work for a company and they don't give paid sick days or, you know, they they don't allow you to work from home certain days of the week when you're having your own mental health struggles. Try and advocate for those issues. Try and advocate for higher pay or try to advocate for, you know, we all have a circle of influence in our lives and we all have power. And I think as a collective whole, if we're all doing whatever it is in our own personal lives, like for you, for example, like as an artist, like that's like your power and your skill and your expertise. And if you use art in a visual format or through like a podcast, like that's you doing the piece that makes sense to you in a way that you feel passionate about. But if I were to ask you to, I don't know, run a race for mental health and like that's not your thing, you shouldn't feel bad that you don't want to do that because that's not your way of expressing support for 
the rising mental health crisis. So try to explore, kind of figure out what's out there, look at different organizations in your local area. Sometimes you can volunteer if you feel emotionally stable enough for a mental health crisis hotline. They're always looking for volunteers. They take you through the training and that tends to be like three hours a week. Like there's so many different things you can do. And if the thing that you do is just supporting your friends and family around you, that's perfectly okay too. We don't have to feel like we have to change the mental health crisis because it's, as a nonprofit myself, I recognize that I'm not going to change the world with my nonprofit, that my nonprofit in collaboration with all of the other charities and nonprofits across Canada are the ones that are slowly chipping away and making change and we all play a role. Never feel like you don't have power because we all have power. That was great. That was great. In terms of resources, if there's anyone listening who, after listening to this, they want to go and learn more or they want to um, maybe donate to a a certain non-for-profit, are there any resources or things of that nature that you recommend? Yeah. So there are over 170,000 charities and nonprofits in Canada. So when people are looking for resources, I understand why they feel overwhelmed because it's overwhelming. And there's no one particular database that helps people search for things that make sense for them. I'm not trying to drive traffic towards my own website, but we have a blog on the 2020 Arts website, 10 free mental health resources. So if you're seeking mental health support, there are a couple of really great programs, even some that connect you one-on-one with a therapist for free. And there has been a a lot of government support and funding for a lot of those programs because of the mental health crisis happening in the pandemic. So there's that. And then if you want to learn more, there are so many amazing YouTube channels. Like I just came across one a few days ago called Psychopathy Is. And it basically is an interview with a psychopath. And it just like lets you know like what psychopathy is and it educates you on a one-on-one basis. So watch interviews. There are so many great therapists who have YouTube channels where they talk using their own expertise, knowledge from a credible source about mental health disorders, how they manifest, some interesting interviews. I think we just live in such an amazing time where there are so many resources available to people. It's just a matter of finding them online. I don't know that there's any one resource that I would point people to. I think there are so many great ones. And like I said, with so many charities and nonprofits across Canada, it's really difficult. But yeah, find a medium. Maybe if you like watching YouTube videos, it's more easily digestible for you. If you like reading articles, go on Psychology Today or listen to podcasts, interviews, like anything that you can to educate yourself on how different people experience different mental health disorders, I think is great. Is there anything you have been working on or anything you think any listeners should know about that's going on with Megan? We're going to have a wish list. So the wish list is essentially for charities or nonprofits that need certain assets. Maybe it's a poster for an event that they're doing. Maybe they want a set of social media assets to have their brand be synonymous across all platforms, but they don't have the funding to do it. So they'll just put the request in through the wish list. And we're essentially just going to work through this pro bono list of design assets and different work for different charities and nonprofits free of charge. So doing that while also charging services for charities that do have some capacity to be able to enhance their digital strategy. So that's what's on the horizon. More obviously big campaigns, Life on the Line is going to continue to be either an annual or semi-annual event. Either way, it's definitely going to continue. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited to see where it all goes. It's sort of evolving and changing with me. I had no idea I wanted to end up here, but here we are. So just stay tuned. Lots of exciting things coming.
Awesome. Okay, so you mentioned the 2020 Arts website and blog. Where else can people find you guys um, in the digital realm, like on social media? Definitely on Instagram is the big one. That's where we publish a vast majority of our content. It's just at 2020 Arts spelt out phonetically. That's a big one. I mean, technically we're on all social media platforms. I'm also on Facebook. 2020 Arts is on Facebook. On Twitter, we're 2020 Art. We're on Pinterest. We're on TikTok. <laughs> Everywhere 2020 Arts. Um, we're basically on everything. We're on LinkedIn. We're going to be on YouTube. We're going to actually be launching a YouTube video series about mental health and disability this summer, which is an ongoing series, which I'm excited about. So anywhere you can think people are using social media marketing, we're there. Just look us up. It's always 2020 Arts. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. I'm so happy to see this all come together and I, I can't wait to see it all. Can't wait to see all the other episodes. This concludes Art is Human Nature. To see the artwork for this episode, visit artbyrobinson.com slash artishumannature. Until next time.